Hello, this is the 23rd in the series of podcasts produced by the British Society for Haematology. This podcast covers the guideline on the management of mature T-cell and NK cell lymphomas, excluding cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. This podcast is being recorded over Zoom due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, and so we apologise for any loss in sound quality that may occur. My name is Dr. Chris Fox. I'm a consultant haematologist and uh, honorary associate professor at the University of Nottingham. And I lead the UK National Cancer Research Institute's Aggressive Lymphoma Study Group. I have a background and interest in the, the field of T-cell lymphoma, including being a member of the International T-Cell Project Executive Committee and having a research background specifically in EBV-associated TNMK lymphomas. So I'm going to discuss the uh, new BSH guideline on the diagnosis and management of mature TNMK cell lymphomas. And it's been a decade since the previous uh, guideline on this uh, disease area was published. And I'd like to talk to you in three main parts about the guideline content. First of all, I'd like to give you a little bit of background and context on this disease area and perhaps uh, reflect on what progress we've made over the past decade. I'll then move on to discuss some general recommendations that we make in the guideline, which are uh, really important, um, particularly given the, given the challenging uh, diagnostic um, issues that we face as clinicians for this group of diseases. And finally, and most importantly, I'll discuss some specific disease areas, some of which we've made progress in clinic with uh, clinical treatments, and some in which we need to do much better. So, what have we seen over the past decade? I think it's fair to say that we've seen from our scientific colleagues and through clinical collaboration, deeper insights into the disease biology. So we're delineating the, this group of diseases in a more refined fashion, but that gives us more heterogeneity in terms of the diseases that we diagnose. And so that itself presents some problems. We have improved diagnostic tools, including some new immunohistochemistry markers, but it remains really important to have expert hematopathology review. We also have improved imaging techniques, and specifically, um, there is widespread use of PET-CT imaging. This is very uh, uh, good and uh, certainly better than standard CT imaging at identifying areas of extranodal disease, which is common in T-cell lymphoma, but we still recognise this uh, imaging modality has a limited role in guiding our treatments. The open question of dose intensification and whether patients who are sufficiently fit should undergo autologous stem cell transplant in first remission remains a dilemma and a controversy for many clinicians. And in reality, this is actually uh, delivered in clinical practice in a, in a minority of patients, probably only about 10 to 20%. We are um, moving in clinical trials towards more targeted therapies, and there are a number of new promising uh, drug classes um, in which we've seen uh, improvements in, in response rates. But most of these are not yet licensed by the European or British authorities, and uh, we need further information from clinical trials, including subtype-specific protocols and targeted treatments um, that are biologically informed. So overall, we've made progress, 
But unfortunately, the prognosis for most patients with T-cell and NK-cell lymphoma remains poor. Within the guideline, we first make some general recommendations. All, P all peripheral T-cell lymphoma cases should be discussed at a regional lymphoma multidisciplinary team meeting to include both expert pathology review as well as clinical management recommendations. And this is quite a strong recommendation within the guideline as we know that um, misdiagnosis or misclassification is still unfortunately quite common in this difficult group of diseases, even in expert hands. Although peripheral T-cell lymphoma is uncommon uh, for younger patients in, in the teenage and young adult age group under the age of 25, these cases occasionally uh, do occur, and these cases should always be discussed with a, a TYA specialist at a primary treatment centre. We've also strongly recommended uh, re-biopsy for patients with relapsed or refractory disease. This is really important wherever it's clinically feasible, because we know uh, there are challenges with diagnosis and some patients can change uh, histological subtype at the point of relapse. In terms of response assessment, uh, and assessing effectiveness of therapy, we recommend both a staging and end of treatment PET-CT scan for all the non-leukemic peripheral T-cell lymphoma subtypes. As I mentioned before, we don't recommend interim PET scanning as we don't yet know how this uh, imaging would be able to inform our treatment. Indeed, the negative predictive value of an end of treatment PET-CT scan is still relatively low. Although PET-CT scanning is uh, superior to CT scanning um, for extranodal disease detection, we still recommend a bone marrow biopsy in, in nodal peripheral T-cell lymphoma for accurate staging, as we don't yet have sufficient data to be able to omit this uh, staging investigation. And finally, in terms of general recommendations, all peripheral T-cell lymphoma cases, whether they're untreated or relapsed or refractory, should be uh, strongly considered for a clinical trial wherever possible. And we've graded this as 1B, so it's a strong recommendation because of the poor outcome for most patients. So I'll now move on to talk about some specific uh, T-cell lymphoma subtypes to explore where we've made progress and how the data that we've seen in recent years has informed our recommendations. So first to discuss uh, systemic anaplastic large T-cell lymphoma. Many of you will be aware of the large randomized phase three study uh, termed Echelon 2, um, which led to the US, uh, European and British approval for the addition of brentuximab vedotin to um, the standard uh, cytotoxic chemotherapy regimen CHUP, that is CHOP without living Christine. This was a double blind uh, large randomized study that included 70% of uh, patients uh, in the trial with systemic ALCL. And of course, this group of diseases strongly expresses CD30, to which brentuximabredotin is targeted. And we saw a clear um, improvement, clinically and statistically significant improvement in both progression-free and overall survival for patients with, this, with the ALCL subtype within this trial, leading to the approval and commissioning within NHS England for this group of patients. And we therefore strongly recommend uh, for patients who are sufficiently fit to have six cycles of CHUP plus brentuximab vedotin as first-line therapy 
for CD30 positive ALCL, and that's grade 1A evidence based on the randomized trial. The issue of whether patients should then go on to have high-dose chemotherapy and autologous stem cell transplant in first remission with ALCL is less clear. Um, this um, consolidation approach was permitted within the Echelon 2 trial and is often performed in practice, but the evidence base supporting this recommendation is less strong. And we've therefore given a, a consider recommendation rather than offer. So this is a softer grade 2B uh, consideration for patients who may be uh, fit enough to undergo the, the intensive consolidation chemotherapy. Within the guideline, we also um, state to consider involved site radiation therapy for patients with early stage ALCL um, in first response. Um, but we would not recommend to abbreviate the chemotherapy. So this would be six courses of CHUP plus brentuximabridotin, followed by radiotherapy uh, in consultation with your radiation oncologist. And moving on to recommendations for relapsed and refractory ALCL. For a number of years, we've had access and commissioned uh, brentuximabridotin as uh, monotherapy for relapsed refractory ALCL, and we continue to recommend that as a, as a, as a strong recommendation within the guideline. We also um, would recommend to consider retreatment with brentuximab vedotin as monotherapy for patients who've previously been exposed to brentuximab vedotin, that is, those who've responded to the CHIP plus BV regimen, and this is in line with current NHS England commissioning. However, it's also reasonable to consider using the standard multi-agent non-cross-resistant chemotherapies um, for patients with relapse and refractory disease, particularly if they have not had a, a good response to first-line therapy. In terms of consolidation um, with stem cell transplantation for patients with relapse and refractory ALCL, we have left this relatively open in the guideline, reflecting the, the, the weak evidence base and also reflecting the heterogeneity of patients in terms of their own fitness, suitability um, for allogeneic transplant, whether they have um, an eligible donor, and also the disease behaviour. So you'll see within the guideline, there's a number of caveats there and considerations to make when choosing between autologous and allogeneic stem cell transplant in this setting. Moving on to a different T-cell lymphoma entity, the, the unique uh, clinico-pathological entity termed extranodal NK T-cell lymphoma. We have seen uh, significant improvements in survival over the past decade for both the limited stage nasal disease as well as the advanced stage um, extranasal disease. And this has largely been achieved by uh, the adoption of disease-specific protocols. And there have been a number of uh, step changes in therapy uh, compared to the other T-cell lymphoma subtypes, including the incorporation of asparaginase, as well as platinum and non-anthracycline-based chemotherapy for both limited stage and advanced stage disease. And importantly, uh, progress and survival has also been improved by the appropriate use of uh, high-dose radiotherapy, particularly for localised extranodal NK T-cell lymphoma, but there's also a role in advanced stage disease. So the specific recommendations in terms of extranodal NKT cell lymphoma subtype, we would recommend staging with PET-CT, uh, given the importance of distinguishing between localized and advanced stage disease and which treatment protocol is applied. 
We would also recommend that clinicians consider the use of MRI for patients with localized extranodal NK T cell lymphoma to assess the extent of local invasion and to potentially inform the radiation field. In terms of diagnosis, it's really crucial that uh, histopathologists uh, stain for EBV using the EBA in situ hybridization probes, which are highly sensitive and specific and uh, give real confidence in this diagnosis. And we also recognize the potential use and utility of monitoring EBV uh, DNA copy numbers in peripheral bloods using qPCR, as this seems to be a, quite a strong corroborative um, biomarker of response. In terms of localized extranodal NK T cell lymphoma, we recommend the use of non-anthracycline-based um, platinum and or L-aspiragenase containing chemotherapy, but importantly, um, the use of radiation therapy, typically in excess of 50 gray for stage one and two disease is really crucial. And it's important to, to deliver the radiotherapy early during treatment. There are a number of phase two protocols that have been published um, incorporating either concurrent or sequential or indeed sandwiched radiotherapy. And all of these approaches are reasonable um, um, according to uh, which protocol uh, your local radiation oncologist and hematologist are most familiar with. For patients with advanced stage, stage three and four disease, outcomes are, are less good, but the use of protocols such as SMILE or DDGP um, are show encouraging outcomes. And the, the theme across all of these advanced stage protocols is non-anthocycline based aspiragenase containing regimens. For patients who are sufficiently fit, particularly with advanced stage disease, we would uh, consider the use of either autologous or allogeneic stem cell transplant to consolidate first remission. And again, similar to the uh, other T-cell lymphoma subtypes, this needs to be an individual patient decision uh, taken together with the clinician and the MDT, considering both patient disease and also donor-related factors. Of course, the two more common peripheral T-cell lymphoma subtypes that we encounter in clinical practice are angiomyoblastic T-cell lymphoma, as well as the peripheral T-cell lymphomas not otherwise specified. And it's been quite clear to us that a decade on from the previous guideline, we still require progress in these two more common subtypes. Although as clinicians, we are often dissatisfied with the outcomes uh, using CHOP chemotherapy for peripheral T-cell lymphoma, NOS, and angiomyoblastic T-cell lymphoma, Unfortunately, we do not yet have any data, uh, including recently conducted randomized trials to show superiority of an alternative regimen over CHOP. So CHOP remains the standard for these two subtypes. And within the guideline, we've recommended this as a grade 1B. Similarly to the recommendations with ALCL, we state in the guideline to consider the use of high-dose chemotherapy and autologous stem cell transplant for patients with PTCL NOS and angiomyoblastic T-cell lymphoma in first remission. But this is a grade 2B recommendation reflecting the weaker evidence base. For patients with relapsed or refractory disease, we recommend the use of non-cross-resistant multi-agent chemotherapy, recognizing that outcomes are unfortunately poor, but always considering the availability and suitability of clinical trials for such patients. For patients who respond to second-line therapy, 
we would uh, recommend that clinicians consider the use of consolidation allogeneic stem cell transplant in second or subsequent response. There are no data to support the use of autologous stem cell transplant in this setting. So if a patient is suitably fit and has a potential donor, this would be the approach we would recommend. The question of central nervous system prophylaxis remains controversial in the more common lymphoma of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And suffice to say that the data available in T-cell lymphoma is even less strong. So the recommendation in the guideline for this commonly asked question is to apply the same risk assessment that we currently use for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in informing the decision for CNS prophylaxis in T-cell lymphoma. So during this podcast, I haven't gone through each of the specific T and NK cell lymphoma subtypes, but rather tried to highlight the areas where progress has been made and also to address the more common peripheral T-cell lymphomas and where we stand with therapy in 2021. I think we've seen improved survival and a change in clinical practice for some patient groups, largely through the application of subtype-specific protocols, as well as some targeted therapies. However, we must recognise that the majority of patients with TNNK cell lymphomas still face poor survival outcomes, and we urgently need some therapeutic progress here. Only through a deeper understanding of the disease pathobiology and by collaborating across uh, study groups on interventional clinical trials, will we make further paradigm shifts in the therapy of peripheral T-cell lymphoma. So I'd like to thank you for listening to this podcast today and invite you to the BSH website where you'll find a range of interesting and informative podcasts from the British Society of Hematology.